Good morning. We are so thankful that you are here this morning. And for those viewing online, we are thankful that you can join with us as well. And certainly to our visitors, we thank you for being here. It is a national holiday, Gabe Dixon's birthday, if you didn't know that already. We like to take a chance to give him a hard time any time that we can. But as is always the case on the real national holiday, we are thankful for our fathers. And maybe you share this, this sentiment that was shared online this week that I saw. The Mother's Day sermon is always that moms are awesome, right? That's what we feel about a lot of things. And the Father's Day sermon usually is, men, you're doing it wrong. That's the way it sometimes goes on Mother's Day and Father's Day. But we are thankful for our earthly fathers, especially those godly fathers, tender-hearted men like Tom Levi, who we appreciate so much, and many others. And as is sometimes the case, this morning we won't be discussing fathers in particular in our study of God's Word. And we have a lot of distance to cover and a short time to get there, so off we'll go together. Before we get into our lesson for this morning, I feel the need to be sure that I was clear on something from last week. But it will also help bridge the gap for us because I told you last week that this would be a bit of a two-part lesson. I received several comments last week that caused me to be unsure if I'd made one of my points clearly. One of the main ideas behind the lesson was not the idea that if the elders say we're having worship, that you have to be here at the building, if that's what they say. The point was mainly that we cannot cause division over something that might be a matter of judgment. As in, if you feel like coming, that's fine. If you don't feel like coming, that's fine. If you feel like wearing a mask, that's fine. And if you don't feel like wearing a mask, that's fine. And with our thrust being on division for these two weeks, whichever of those four views you might hold or any of the eight views that we've looked at as a total last week, that's fine. But let's be careful that we are not causing division. Now, if you have your bulletin in front of you, you will notice a large blank space that there is no outline for this week. My children have already chastised me for that. If you're watching online, you don't have a bulletin, so it really shouldn't matter to you anyway. But if you have one, do not fear. This empty page does not signify that there is no sermon this morning. And also, do not get your hopes up because it's not necessarily going to be short either. Should you choose to take notes, the page is yours. The blank page before you, if you have one, is simply a reflection of the struggle that the preacher has had with the sermon for this week. It is merely an indication of what the preacher had ready for the bulletin at 11 o'clock on Friday morning, also known as press time around here. It was not a matter that no thought, time, or effort had been put into a topic this morning. On the contrary, I probably spent more time than ever wrestling with the text, thoughts, illustrations, points, and content, probably more time than ever before on a sermon. I consumed massive amounts of material this week from other brothers, doing my best to, to soak up every second of Scripture, every ounce of application, anything that I could get my hands on and my brain around to try to help me help you. As we said last week, our world has been filled with great unrest. 27 days ago, our world watched as a cell phone video captured one man with his knee upon the neck of another man and the extinguishing of a life. Now don't jump ahead of me. I've not placed blame, mentioned skin color, or discussed intent. 
What the world witnessed was a man, many of us would agree, unnecessarily losing his life. And above all else, losing the chance for any more opportunity to be made right with God. The ensuing discussion on a national level, a local level, and hopefully even on a personal and family level has given rise to many feelings, emotions, and thoughts. In Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse number 17, the Apostle Paul has called the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him so that he can share some heartfelt words with them. Their relationship is such in verses 36 and 37 that the physician Luke records for us and shares that they prayed together. They cried together. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. The relationship, this relationship and show of emotions, though, comes out of Paul's attitude that he had shared in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. It's a challenge that we ministers of the gospel take very seriously. It's a challenge that compels me to share with you some very serious thoughts this morning. The division that we discussed last week was due to a recent event or set of circumstances. And the division we want to discuss this week, this morning, is because of, you might say, a historical issue over the course of time. Racism, injustice, racial issues, racial tension, bigotry, prejudice, and the like have always existed in some form or fashion and manifested themselves in different ways throughout the history of time. It is something that is not always fun to think about. It is certainly not always easy to discuss. And we are not that far removed from a time in our country when many people, Christians included, Preachers of the gospel involved as well. We are not that far removed from a time in our country when some people, because of the color of their skin, were considered second-class citizens. Now, before we get into some main thoughts this morning, let me tell you that I want to work backwards from what is our usual modus operandi for lessons. Very often, it is helpful for us to examine Scripture and then to make some application. However, this morning, I would like for us to consider a few practical things so that we can finish our study with the word of God only. It is a fact of life that sometimes two or more things can be true at the same time. My dear sweetheart, the love of my life, my better half, has been known to create massive to-do lists. She'll pull out, a, unfurl a piece of paper that falls all the way down to the ground, and I'll say, what is that, honey, a Walgreens receipt? And she will respond and say, no, it's my to-do list. I mean, like for most people, what would con constitute a set of goals and plans to fill a planner for 2021 is her Tuesday, right? Anyway, there are some Tuesdays where she does not complete every task on her list. And so it is my role to gently remind her that she is not a failure. Two things can be true at the same time. You did not complete your to-do list. You are not a failure. Most of us would agree with that. Those two things can be true. If your list is 100 items long, it's going to be hard to accomplish all those things, but it did not mean that you failed to do some things that day. As we consider some practical thoughts this morning, please understand that I believe it is possible for two things to be true at the same time. So here we go. We're going to jump right in because it is highly possible and yes, even 100% true that for most of us, the thing that consumes most of our time today 
is social media. Now, before you start in, there goes that preacher meddling again. Let me just remind you that we are saying that two things can be true at the same time. Do you know the outreach that we have through our Facebook page? Do you have any idea how many people that we can reach that can hear the gospel truth with just maybe even 25 or 30 of our members who like or share something on Facebook? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these avenues of social media are just tools. They are tools that can be used to further the gospel of Christ. The world is literally at our fingertips. But brothers and sisters, I'm afraid what has happened is that all too often we allow social media to become just another weapon in the devil's arsenal to cause division, strife, anger, and bitterness. When we choose to share articles and information that are on one side or the other, that are filled with divisive speech and sometimes misinformation or questionable information, we must be very careful. Paul's admonition to those in Philippi were of a serious nature in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Whatsoever things are true, noble, just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, think. The New King James says, meditate, dwell on those things is what we need to be doing. Are these the attitudes, those words that Paul used, are those the attitudes and mindsets in and on social media? It can be. Very often it is not. Social media can be used for good, and it can also be used for bad. Number two, it can be true that most people are good. We see that in the world around us. But it can also be true that sometimes there are bad apples in a bunch. I heard our brother John Deberry share a story this week in a lesson that was on racism about a lady who went to a car lot. She bought a car, left the lot with it. Within a week, something broke. She drove it back to the lot, and the owner said, I'll make it right. Whatever car you want on the lot, pick it out, and you can have it. She said, no, no, no. I bought a lemon, and I want everybody else to know that, that Mr. Jones' car lot just has lemons. That's all they've got. And so she drove it away, and she was going to share that information. This lady was also happened to be a farmer, a pig farmer. And so a lady showed up on her farm within the next few days. And the lady said, I want to buy a pig. So the woman brought out all of her best pigs, blue ribbon winning prized pigs. And the woman said, no, all those are fine, but I want that one, that little runt over there. The lady said, well, why would you want that runt? She said, well, that's what I want. So she bought the pig and took it with her set it on the back of her truck and somewhere in town and put a sign up and said that this pig farm only has runts. Of course, the woman came running, found him and said, what are you doing? Why would you do that to me? And of course, the woman who had bought the pig was the wife of the car lot owner. And she said, and the husband stepped forward and he said, if you're going to judge me by my runts, then I'm going to judge you by your runts. There are good white people. There are some sorry white people. There are good black people. There are some black people who are not so good. There are good cops. There are some rotten cops. You don't judge me by my runts, and I won't judge you by your runts. Both of these things can be true, and we must be careful as we think about the world and the people around us. Number three, it is true that rioting and looting are bad. 
It is not okay or approved by God to take things that do not belong to you, nor to destroy property that is not your own. But it can also be true that protests, especially peaceful protests, are intended to help people be heard, to express an objection to what someone has said or something that has happened. No one ever liked homework, especially when the preacher gives it out, but hear me out for just a minute. Go home and read the speech given on March 23rd, 1775. The words spoken by an American hero, many would agree, Patrick Henry. But don't stop there. Pick up then and read the speech delivered on July 5th, 1852 by Frederick Douglass. But there's still one more. 21 years later in 1873, find the speech that was given by Susan B. Anthony. What's amazing is that as you hear the words of all three of these great people, you find not only similar thoughts, but even similar vocabulary that is used. Oppression, slavery, freedom. Many people look at Patrick Henry and call him a hero, but he simply only felt oppressed. But unfortunately, some of those same people would look at someone like Frederick Douglass and scoff. White, black, women, all people who decided to use a form of protest to try to be seen and to be heard. Despite everything that you are seeing on your Facebook feeds or on the news, any way that you are seeing what is happening presented before your eyes today, to protest something that you believe in can be something incredibly powerful. Number four, it is true, black lives matter. But it is also true that all lives matter. I even heard a brother say this week, and I might have to agree when you hear his explanation, that I would caution you against saying blue lives matter. Now before you tune me out, I am incredibly thankful for our police and for our law enforcement. I am thankful that they protect us. I count it an honor to have met and know men like Rick Cook and Frank Harris and many others who go out and have gone out and serve in a terribly uncertain job. I don't know how they do it. I, I shudder just to imagine the strength it takes to go out on a shift not knowing what awaits. But hear me out, I don't know if I would use that phrase, blue lives matter, why? Well, simply because there are no blue people, right? There are black people, there are white people, there are brown people, and all of those people can be and are law enforcement officers. But there are no blue people. I think the caution that I would share with you here is that we must be careful to do a couple of things. Number one, don't be dismissive. Look, it is true, black lives matter. I've even heard someone use a passage of scripture recently to help drive this point home. Do you remember in Luke chapter 15, beginning in about verse 25, the older brother hears the music and the dancing that is associated with his brother, the prodigal son, coming home. And verse 28 says that he felt what? He was angry. And what is the father's response? Son, you are important, but it's not about you right now. For your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. Maybe it is not always about us and at times we need to listen and not be dismissive to others. Number two, listen 
and ask questions. If someone uses that phrase directly to you, Black Lives Matter, then maybe you should ask, what do you mean when you say that? If you mean the political group who may or may not support things that I disagree with, then I might caution you against the usage of that phrase in that way. But if you are interested or someone is interested in having a discussion on the value of all lives, then let's certainly sit down and talk. Black lives matter. Police lives matter. All lives matter. One more. It is absolutely 100% true that our beloved country, the greatest country in all the world, has a history with racism. Slavery. Black people bought and sold, beaten and mistreated, regarded as property to be owned. A war fought over the matter, still considered to be the deadliest in American history. Jim Crow laws, segregation, lynchings, murders. Oh, there's a history because it has always existed, and the problem is only perpetuated when we attempt to deny that fact. But it is also true, as time passes, year after year, that the people who are living in these United States of America are much less responsible, or or excuse me, were not even alive, much less responsible for those awful atrocities. My father-in-law has often asked the question very seriously, where were Christians? during that time and what I believe we all want is for that question to not be asked of us from the time periods that we lived in racism has been a problem in this country I and many people are not responsible for that those two things can be true and I believe that it is possible that both of those things can be true and furthermore I believe that it is possible that while I am not directly responsible and I am not a racist, that I can still do my best and even at times give more effort to be sure that racism is something that doesn't still exist. Does it? I'm afraid it does in some forms. One more caution and we'll move on to the Bible. I may not be a racist and you may not be a racist. And I mean that in the sense that we do not believe that black people or any other people are inferior. But I would caution you that we must be above board and do our best to also not be a bigot, prejudice, give in to stereotypes, be insensitive, making remarks that are not honest or fair. Did you know that not all black people who have dreadlocks are criminals and engaged in illicit behavior? It's not true. Did you know That all white people who are from Tennessee are not members of the KKK? It's not true. I believe that black people can be president. Brown people can play any sport. I believe that all people can eat at the same restaurants. But I must also set aside the hateful speech and hurtful stereotypes that can only serve to harm others and keep our country from moving forward. We must understand that racism has existed. And we must also acknowledge that to help move forward. So as we asked in our lesson last week, what are we going to do? But first I have a question for you. Do you believe that the Bible is sufficient? I mean totally and wholly sufficient. Do you believe that the Bible holds all the answers that we could ever need? Then what does the Bible say? In the beginning of your Bible, very possibly on the very first page, you read these words in Genesis 1 Verses 26 and 27. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And as is often the case, if we are not careful, we read over those statements as if we are reading Little Johnny Walk to School. When what is really said is that the God of heaven, creator of the entire universe, God who laid the foundations of the earth, God who determined its measurements, God who commands the morning, God who gives to all life and breath and all things, God made me in his image. Not the cows, not the dogs, not the bald eagle, apologies to some activists, not even the trees, not fruit, not vegetables, not monkeys. God made man in his image. And while it was only two, and maybe their exact pigmentation we don't know, for sure it was man, red and yellow, black and white. It was man made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. And that gives us value. That gives us worth. It provides us unity. Because regardless... Regardless of color or ethnicity or country of origin or billions upon billions of people, we came from one man and we are all made in the image of God. But it doesn't take long for division to set up. As we said last week, man sins and is separated from God. Racism or nationality problems existed as far back as Genesis chapter 43 and verse number 32. As Joseph's brothers have come to Egypt and he is about to dine with them, the Bible says, so they set a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And we mentioned last week, going forward, in 1 Kings chapter 12, the poor decision made by King Rehoboam that leads to what is appropriately named the divided kingdom of Israel, the people of God. And the unity that was so present in the garden between God and man is quickly gone, and division exists among God's people. Jesus the Christ comes to this earth, and he experiences it as well. In John chapter 4 As he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, she says in John chapter 4 and verse number 9, Don't you know that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? And so in some of his final words, recorded in John chapter 17, Jesus feels the need to pray for unity. This, of course, is the true Lord's Prayer. In it, he prays for all believers. Beginning in verse number 20 through verse 26, he says that I pray for all those who will believe in me that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And though he goes on in just a few short days to give his life, to shed his blood, to die on the cruel cross, and even to rise again, conquering death, the unity still doesn't exist. 
There's Jews and Samaritans, which becomes Jews and Gentiles. Jesus has died, and the church is established in Acts chapter 2. But surprise, surprise, the problems of race and nationality do not just disappear. So that when Peter visits Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Peter says in verse number 28, You know how unlawful it is for me a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Can I paraphrase for a minute? Peter says, I'm not even supposed to be here among you people, so what do you need? And even after Peter says in verse number 34, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Even after that, he goes back to Jerusalem and his Jewish Christian brethren challenge him about what he has done. And it goes forward. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that he had to withstand Peter to his face, confrontation. Because Peter had come to Antioch and had been fellowshipping with some Gentile Christians. All good. That is until some men come from James And when Peter sees them, he withdraws himself from those Gentile Christians seemingly saying, well, I don't want to be seen with these guys if those guys are around. Racism, nationality problems. And by the way, we often think, well, it isn't me. It's not my problem. I'm good. I don't struggle with that. Good Christians don't have that issue. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter gets much of the attention. But notice in verse 13, that Paul goes on to say, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. But no, don't stop there. So that even Barnabas. Who? Barnabas? What? Yes, Barnabas, son of encouragement, held up by all as a beacon of light and good works. Barnabas was carried away with hypocrisy when it came to these issues. Which brings us to Ephesians chapter 2. And listen as Paul explains it to us. And listen to the truth that is in God's all-sufficient word. Beginning in verse number 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time, notice, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. What a terrible place to be. That's bad news. He begins at the beginning of chapter 2 there in Ephesians to say, You who were dead in trespasses and sin friends there is no place there is no worse place in all the world in all of history and there will be no worse place until it becomes eternally too late to understand the beauty of the unity though it can help to understand the magnitude of the division you see ultimately we are mankind red yellow black and white we are not that different genetically we are from one seed We are tall, short, black, white. We have different features. But the difference between Jew and Gentile was established by God himself. And it was a real difference. It's not just that they were oppressed, that they couldn't get the best jobs, 
that they were kept down economically, that they didn't have access to the best schools. It's that they were alienated from Christ. And just like we said about division last week, the division that could and already it does exist that we are already facing in the church over masks and reopening, it's not to make light of those who have died from COVID-19 and those who are seriously ill. Those who have faced racial injustice have faced a terrible thing. But nothing compares to this. Having no hope. Look at verse number 13. Look at your Bible because I'd be willing to say every single Bible in the room begins with the phrase, but now. One of the most powerful phrases in all the world when find in the, found in the Bible is to say that this is the way that things were, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I heard a preacher say this week that this is temple language. You remember the temple, don't you? There was the high priest who could one day a year come into the Holy of Holies, but only the high priest. Then there was the court where the priest could do their work, but only the priest. There was the court of the Jews where they could come, but only the men. Then there was the women who could go here and further and further back were the Gentile proselytes who could come, but they could only get so close. But now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you who were way in the back have been brought near. That's the only way true reconciliation is found. The blood of Christ. It is sufficient. It is enough. And verse number 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that middle wall of separation, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He has made us one. He has created in himself one new man in place of the two. He has reconciled us both to God in one body. We are one. And we don't just stop fighting and dividing. We become one another. One thing we have established in two weeks is that there is lots of division. No, no, no shortage of that. Male, female, black and white, masked and no mask, rich and poor. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is the body, the church that makes this possible in Christ. And many of you as Christians who belong to God, that are people in the kingdom of God, the church, you understand this better than some because you know there are some people in the kingdom who are closer to you than your family. 
And I have heard several statements this week, but they share the same sentiment. Blood might be thicker than water, but it isn't stronger than the cross. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of. Not one led by Barack Obama. Not one led by Donald Trump. Not one led by any man, woman, with any color of skin. But the kingdom of Christ led by Jesus Christ. And our main action points this week could have been the same as last week. What do we need? What are we going to do? We need grace. We need to be understanding, thoughtful, listening, and discerning. We need to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We need to love one another. We need to understand that there has been, and in some ways continues to be, a problem with people acting in racist, bigoted, and prejudiced ways. And we can be a part of the solution by helping the world see the necessity of being reconciled in Christ. I'd invite you this morning, if you would, to set your Bibles aside as we conclude this lesson. If you want to get your songbook out, if you use, use one, that is certainly fine as well. Here's what I know. I am a man, accountable myself only before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I have to do my best to stand before God, having done all I can for unity. I am a husband. I found a wonderful woman who would have me, and I am required to love her to the highest degree. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so this week, we have spent hours, probably hours, talking and discussing and trying to figure out what is right and what is best. I am a father. I have been blessed with four wonderful children. Psalm 127 in verses 4 and 5, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we will, at the appropriate times and in the appropriate ways, have discussions with our children about not only the history of our country, but also our responsibilities as Christians to see that all people have worth and value in Christ. But not only will we teach them, but we will attempt to live that out in our lives. I am a preacher. I'm thankful that four men had the wisdom to choose me to work with you. Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. I want to declare unto you the whole counsel of God so that we can stand as one and be the salt and light to a dark and sinful world. And by the way, I'm very sad to say this to you this morning, but there is no hope. For America. I, I feel like there is no hope for our country in some ways. It is true that some people will try their best to find a path forward, but they are looking in the wrong place. And not only that, but they are searching for something that has already been accomplished in Christ. There is no hope in America, maybe, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to be a part of this kingdom, a kingdom without any division. Are you? You can be. Our God has made it possible in Christ. You are placed into Christ by baptism, by having your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, 
and you can be added to the church. Jew, Greek, slave, free, black, white, male, female, anyone can partake in God's simple plan of salvation. But perhaps you've renounced your citizenship by walking away from God, back to the sinful ways of the world, be restored. Again, walk in the light as he is in the light. Would you come as we stand together and as we sing?